I think sometimes we feel like we have to over-rotate on the difference and we want to walk through that door. I would say instead, gather people who share a lived experience and walk through the door of their humanity, right? What's really working for you here at work? What's not working for you? What do you wish were true? What are you concerned about? You know, you can ask those questions generally as long as you're grouping people in a way that's going to teach you something about how they're unique. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for our guest this week. We have been waiting for so long to talk with her. I think we we booked her like almost six months ago, it seems like. So uh, really excited to talk to Tara J. Frank. She is an author, advisor, teacher, and waymaker. She's an equity strategist who has advised and educated thousands of Fortune 500 executives across multiple industries and large member organizations. Her work fueled by a deep belief in the creative power and potential of everyone focuses on building bridges between people, ideas, and opportunity. She has recently written a book called The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to Workplace Equity with Competence and Confidence. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kyle, for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, like I said uh, in the beginning, super excited for the conversation. I feel like I've been like anxiously awaiting this for so long. Um, and, and I, I just, you know, as, as I was preparing for this and researching some of your background, I just appreciate so much of the work that you've done, um, in the, in the equity and the leadership and employee experience space. And so I want to start off by just asking a question, what inspired you to write your book, The Waymakers? Yes. Well, thank you uh, for all of that, all those good vibes Um, and for the quintessential question, right? I get this question a lot, as you can imagine. There are a couple of things that inspired me to write it. In the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time uh, with CEOs and their C-suite teams. And I noticed that many of them had three things in common, right? When it comes to talking about diversity and equity and inclusion, uh, the first thing is that most of them wanted to do the right thing. Uh, The second is many of them didn't necessarily know what the right thing was. And the third is some really felt unsure about how to step into the work, you know, Mm. where to begin, what to focus on, uh, what to do and not do. And so I wrote the book as a field guide, if you will, right, for those high level leaders and aspiring leaders to better understand the nature of the work, what's been in our way what they can do practically, right, to remove the barriers to opportunity for everyone in their charge. So that's one side of why I wrote the book. The other, and why it's called The Waymakers, is to be honest with you, every, you know, black and brown person or anyone who exists on a dimension of difference in a company who has risen to high levels of contribution got there, not just because they're smart and experienced, right, and have great ideas, but because someone made a way for them. Someone opened a door and removed a barrier and ushered them through to greater levels of contribution. And we need more way makers. So I wrote the book both as inspiration, but also as a tool uh, so that leaders could, could be more equipped, right, to lead in new ways. 
Absolutely. I, I think it's, it's really powerful. And I think about that, um, you know, personally, um, I have so many people to thank for where I am. I had so many, you know, so many opportunities are because someone believed in me, whether that was a teacher or a mentor or a, or a leader at work. Um, but I would not be here (laughs) without all of that support. And it, what strikes me um, as you walk through that is there are people that don't have that That's or right. there are people that have a barrier in place. So as, as, as we think about that in the context of, of the world of work, um, how, how should we be thinking about um, identifying some of those barriers for folks and, and, and how should we be thinking about forging that path for others in our organizations? Yeah, it's it's a very broad question, of course, because there are so many, you know, especially those of us who work in human resources, um, work with people, with culture. My first place to start always is to gather great intelligence, right? <laughs> um, you can imagine a lot of high-level leaders ask me what they should do, and some of them want to start with best practices. Right? We want to be a more equitable organization. We want to be a more inclusive organization. What are the best practices? What are other companies doing? And I always say, you know, that's really not the best place to start because someone else may be doing something that you've already done um, or someone else may be doing something that you were not quite ready for. So the first step always is to gather good intelligence. Do you have a strong sense of what your employee experience currently is? across all these dimensions of difference. And for me, that's different than an engagement, you know, survey. That, that's not necessarily asking them what they think about what you think about you. Uh, it's really trying to dig into what is happening day to day. How are your choices and behaviors impacting their relationship with you, right? As an organization, as a manager, how is it impacting their ability to be successful, to get to the next level? Um, to feel, you know, valued, to be psychologically safe. Like these are all the kinds of questions and conversations that make us smarter about what to go do next. So understanding where those kinks in the system are is a really important first step. The second big thing we need to do, quite frankly, and I'm sure you will appreciate this, is take accountability, right, for shifting those cultures, for figuring out how to evolve the norms, right? That we've always just abided by. The, the thing about norms is we don't think about them anymore. You know, we stop interrogating them because it's just the way we've always done things. But when we do things the way we've always done them, we continue to advantage the same people and we disadvantage the same people as well. So taking that responsibility, it's not just HR's job. Clearly, HR has a critical role. Uh, in evolving culture, in creating better workplaces for employees. But you got, we got to do that in partnership with business leaders. Um, they have to own that and be leaders, right, in this space as much as they are in any other space. And the last thing I would say is we, we've got to develop more relationships across differences. Part of why people are not experiencing waymaking, right, the way that you did, the way you described is because we're so isolated from one another. We tend to surround ourselves with and trust people who remind us of ourselves. And that leaves so many people uh, on the outside looking in. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, I think wonderful, wonderful things to, to call it. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, anything where you like destruct a norm, I love, you know, I mean, I, we did name the podcast rebel HR, That's right. but, um, but I think it's, so it's, it's really, it's really powerful to, you know, I think I, I want to circle back to what you, you talked about and you probably saw you, the listeners can't see the look on my face, but when you talked about like the difference between an employee opinion survey and actually understanding, um, you know, your employee experience across the dimensions of difference, those are two very, very different things. So it, as, as we think about all of those dimensions of difference, um, you know, I think, I think, I, I, you know, I'm actually kind of, going back to one of the reasons you wrote this book is um, so many of us are afraid about how to step into that, you know, how, how, how to step into gathering that Intel yep. in, in a way that's not uncomfortable. Um, it, what, what I guess thoughts or, or what observations have you seen as you were preparing for this book for organizations that did that the the right way and kind of and and kind of stepped into that in a way that that w- that worked yeah so this is a a really good question i will tell you philosophically one of the ways i approach my work is that um everyone at work generally needs the same things but some of us get those needs met to a lesser degree so in preparation for the waymakers we did a proprietary research study uh, in partnership with a company called Brand Trust. And we ran a, narr- a narrative inquiry study. We asked hundreds of employees to tell us stories of times they felt seen and respected and valued and protected, and to tell us stories of times they felt invisible and disrespected and underappreciated and scrutinized. And the learnings from that were so profound because. Some things we kind of all have in common, right? But the manifestation of those emotional states differs across groups. The way I think about it is if we approach every single person in our charge with the same level of curiosity and interest and listen for the similarities and the nuances, we will begin to identify patterns, right, of what certain groups have in common versus others. So simply, we can do an experience survey um, that's anonymous, right, but that asks people to identify themselves along different dimensions so that when we look at that data, we have an opportunity to splice it to see what's common and see what's different. That's going to teach us a little something about how people are experiencing our company uh, uniquely. The other thing we can do is just gather people together, maybe in um, identity groups through ERGs, let's say. So we want to invite people, a small subsection of our Black ERG, a small subsection of our LGBT ERG, et cetera. And we just want to have conversations, not about, you know, their Blackness per se, not about their sexual orientation, but about their experience, knowing that all of them are coming to that conversation with similar lived experiences. And and that's the difference. I, I think sometimes we feel like we have to over-rotate on the difference and we want to walk through that door. I would say instead, gather people who share a lived experience and walk through the door of that of their humanity 
right? What's really working for you here at work? What's not working for you? What do you wish were true? What are you concerned about? You know, you can ask those questions generally as long as you're grouping people in a way that's going to teach you something about how they're unique. I love that, uh, that phrase, walk through the door of their humanity. That's, that's, yeah. you should trademark that. That's really good. <laughs> I'm sure somebody else said it in some Maybe. kind of way at some point. <laughs> you, so, you subconsciously, uh, yeah, uh, soaked it in, but yeah. I, you know, I think that's a really, uh, really powerful. And for those that, that aren't familiar, ERG is employee resource group, which, yes, thank you. um, I can, and, and I will attest, you know, and we've done some of this at my, at my company where we've, we've. Uh, we, we've got a couple recently formed uh, ERGs and the, the points of connection that have come out of that. And for me, a lot of, I mean, I'm a white guy in the Midwest in the United mm -hmm. States. So, you know, I'm not really traditionally diverse, but I do, I get so much perspective just from being a fly on the wall in those meetings or reading the meeting notes or, or you know, being kind of the executive sponsor for these groups. Mm -hmm. um, that, that then trickles through every, you know, every aspect of every system that I, I have to touch in my role. Right. Um, so I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that, you know, there, that, that was absolutely, um, a wonderful call out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the things I'm curious to ask about, and we talked, I just talked about this with a, a recent podcast guest is, is kind is asking people to identify which groups they identify with. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of us in human resources are, are a little bit nervous about that, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, you know, we want the data, yep. but we also don't want to categorize people into a, a narrow box. And we, we don't want to ask people to do something that's makes them feel, you know, singled out or uncomfortable. So any recommendations for how to, how to go through that kind of that, that identification process in a way that's, that's actually comfortable for somebody or is there no way to do it in a way that's comfortable? I, Are you talking about the through a survey situation or just like in conversation? Because those are very different. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yes, I guess, you know, <laughs> I, my, you know, the way I think about it, it's, it's all, it, I'm always thinking about the system, you know, like how do I, yes. how do I systemically do this? Yes, um, yes, yes. but yeah. So I, I guess so, I would lean more towards the system. How do you, what's the system? Yeah. So I'll tell you how I think about it because, you know, first of all, let's acknowledge there's no right or wrong way to group people and then identify groups. At the end of the day, the, the only, the best way to identify a person is to ask a person, right? How they identify or how they like to be, um, you know, addressed and then respect that individual's preference. But because we're trying to do things that have system impact, that doesn't work in HR, right? Like you do need to group people along certain lines of distinction, or you're not going to learn anything about how the system works for some and not others. And so the way that I think about it, if we just take survey as an example, because it's the easiest way to talk about this, I will often do a disclaimer up front or I'll recommend my, my clients do a disclaimer up front and says, we know identity is a very personal thing. Um, please answer the following questions to the degree that you are comfortable. So first of all, you've set the stage that you know some people are not going to want to answer these questions and you're respecting whatever boundary they may have. But then with each question, 
will say, you know, please mark one or more um, that apply to you, list a bunch of races and ethnicities for an example, and then always have a prefer not to say. This way, you're, you may not get all the data you want, but at least you're showing people the individual respect, right? Recognizing they may have boundaries and may not want to respond. In most cases, people will respond, um, but you got to give them that option. Otherwise, they feel put upon. <laughs> yeah, I um, I won't repeat this story because I told it on a recent episode. But yeah, I I certainly <laughs> stepped into that, you know, made that mistake. <laughs> so I I can attest. Uh, listen to Tara. Do, do it that way. No, <laughs> a lot of people do, though. You know, and I think the most important thing when we're analyzing the data, and I'm sure that you and other guests have talked about this, or that you've talked about this in your day to day work is we need to be looking at intersectional data. You know, we sometimes only look at, you know, race in a, in a vacuum or gender in a vacuum, et cetera. But those intersections really matter and they create yet more unique experiences for people, right? If I'm gay and Black, I have a very unique experience from someone who is gay and not Black. If I am female and, you know, Asian, I have a very different experience than, than the men who are Asian. And so that intersectionality matters. So the more data, the more demographic data we can try to collect, I think the better our decision making will be on the other side, um, because we'll just be that much more insightful. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Employee Onboarding Podcast by Process Street. If you care about crafting a magical experience for new employees and you love podcasts, you won't want to miss this. Join the Process Street team as they have conversations with people leaders and technology creators exploring the world's most magical onboarding experiences. You will learn cutting-edge best practices, industry secrets, and technology to wow every new employee that walks through your door. I recommend the episode where Process Street's CEO, Vinay Patankar, sat down with Zapier CEO, Wade Foster, to talk about how they've scaled employee onboarding in a $5 billion remote-first organization. And the conversation with Ben Eubanks discussing how to leverage AI and automation to improve the new employee experience will blow your mind. You can find the Employee Onboarding Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Go ahead and check it out. And don't forget, if you're interested in supercharging your employee onboarding or other HR processes, go ahead and give Process Street a try. You can sign up for a free account at www.process.st or check out their YouTube channel for a bunch of webinars and demos. I think it's it's really powerful to to understand that and understand you know the um, the makeup of your organization. So let's let's fast forward. Let's say okay, um, you know we we've kind of understand we've understood the data. Um, we've un- we understood understand the lived experience of our employees yeah. and in the context of their differences. And there are challenges there, or there you know there are issues that arrive. Yep. Um, is that where the waymakers need to come in? Yes. So the waymakers actually belong in every phase of this journey. Um, the waymakers are in the room when the survey is being designed, saying we're not asking hard enough questions, or we're you know throwing softballs at everybody, or um, this isn't going to teach us what we really need to know. Right? For example, 
um, the way makers certainly are in the room where the data is being interpreted. Uh, the way makers say, why are we always looking for the least common denominator? You know, some of these nuances and these differences are where we can really learn how to get better, right? Waymakers are challenging assumptions every step of the way. But then once you have that data and you're gleaning some insights and you know that you've asked the good questions, right, that you're looking at the margins um, for signs of what might be broken, you're then trying to identify the pieces or the steps on the talent journey that provide what I like to call opportunities for impact. You know, I look at it as where can we drill for oil? So if you ask really good experience questions, you may learn, gosh, we have a lot of opportunity in our onboarding process. We're never really getting people plugged into our company in the first place. You know, something's not working there. That's an opportunity for impact. Or people are really unsure about how to get to the next level. They do not know um, what the clear criteria is. They do not know how to develop the kinds of connections or relationships that are going to help them get to that next level. We need to really do some digging around promotion, right, or succession planning. So the insight should, should reveal to you or suggest to you at the very least what those steps are on the talent journey that give you an opportunity to make things better for everyone. At which point, the way I like to do it, you know, I have an innovation mastery as well. So I love to, you know, in a creative product development background, I love to kind of bring it all together in kind of a creative way to say, let's bring, let's, let's, let's gather people from different levels of the company, people from different, you know, um, identity backgrounds, people who have different tenure, people with different generations, right? Into a room for a half day and talk about these different steps on this talent journey and ask people to consider and to discuss what's really working today. What do we think is broken? Again, what do we wish were true about this step in the talent journey? And where do we believe we really have significant risk? And have those robust discussions, right, from a 360-degree lens to then look at all that data, those inputs, those ideas, and say, gosh, what, what bold choices can we make moving forward that are informed by some of these conversations? So I look at everything, honestly, as a creative problem to be solved. Absolutely. I, I think it's, you know, it's a really interesting approach. Um, it, it it goes back to what you mentioned earlier. It's, you know, by, by taking an approach like that, you're actually, you're understanding those experiences deeper, right? And, and you're actually to the point that they're helping you solve. And you're solving the real problem. You, you're solving the problem you actually have, right. not the problem you think you have. <laughs> well, you just took my <laughs> next question. So, you know, it's like, I do think it's so, it's, it's so powerful to have that data, but I think the hardest part's not gathering the data. It's figuring out, okay, what do I do with this? Like, what, what are the steps? And if you, if you do this in a vacuum, uh, don't you, you run the risk of actually just solving a, a, a perceived problem, but maybe not even the real problem. Am I right on that? That's exactly right. Which is why, you know, when I mentioned bring people together across dimensions of difference to talk about the opportunities, and then to come up with ideas to solve them, that is a very, 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 very intentional, you know, frame, 
that I use because what you're doing is you are leveraging diversity in that moment to solve a business problem. One of the best things about diversity is it helps you see problems more broadly and it helps you solve them more creatively. And so in that case, you're doing exactly that. You're leveraging that diversity to, to understand the problem and then to come up with ideas to solve it. What we do now often when we don't force diverse lenses on a problem, right, both from a lived experience standpoint and the, you know, preferences and delights and concerns and frustrations, you have, let's say me, let's say I'm in control. Um, I usually like to solve problems with people who think like me and approach the work like me because it's faster and it's less frustrating. And if I have a group that I always go to, you know, my go-to crew who's going to solve these problems with me, well, guess what? If we're all optimists, we're all going to talk about what we already like about what we're doing, and then we're going to do more of that. If we're all problem solvers, we're all going to look for what's broken, and then we're going to try to fix that. If we're all innovators or creative people or pioneers, we're going to forget everything we already have going and come up with a completely new way to do it. And in any of those circumstances, we have missed really important lenses, right? Like, a, I don't know about you, but I'm a pioneer. If somebody asks me to think about how we can make a process better, if I, if I leave myself to my own devices, I won't even pay a lot of attention to what's happening right now. I'll just get in a room and come up with a totally new way to do it. And then people will be like, but wait, Tara, some of this though isn't broken. Some of this is working really well as is, right? So you get where I'm going with that. Yeah, I think, I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm smirking over here because it's like, yep, that's me. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> to totally, totally optimistic. Like, you know, oh, this is going to take, this will take what? Three weeks, you know, and when in, in actuality, if we want to do it right, it's going to take six months and, and, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of investment. And I do, I love, you know, I just love new, I love change, you know, so Me yes, I'm, I'm very much like, oh, we can do this better. Let's completely throw everything out and everything. start All over. The <laughs> yeah, which, which, you know, because I'm sure you've worked with so many different kinds of people is like maddening oh, for, for folks who write who think incrementally, but also who spend a lot of time um, building systems to, you know, be sustainable. Like you can't just throw everything away and start from scratch every single time you want to make a change. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm hearing is we might have a one, we're going to have a wonderful conversation, but maybe you and I should not work together on a project team where we have to do a deliverable. <laughs> we a should realistic not work alone. Line. We should not work <laughs> alone on a project. <laughs> we need to have the diversity of thought on that team, right? Yes, but that's think, exactly right. I think one of the things, you know, I, I loved how you, you said it. It's, you know, and I think about this in the context of my team, you know, yeah, I've got that go-to person. Mm -hmm. and, and I have go-to people for specific things just because I know it's fast. That's you right. Know, and I got a lot. I got a lot of emails coming in. I got a lot going on. I just want to, you know, let's get this done now. Let's get this done now. This will be quick. That's it. Um, and, and I'll, you know, to, to share a, a, maybe a personal anecdote here, you know, this is exactly what happened when we did our last employee opinion survey. <laughs> and, we, and we heard that career development is something that we're not great at. Yep. Which what to me was not surprising. It's something that I would have said that without doing this, you know, this, this massive global survey. Um, and the way that I wanted to solve it was by the, exact formula that I've seen it solved in the past at other companies that I've worked at and 
uh, through some of my peers who are a lot like me, who have done things in their companies. And so, you know, it was a little bit of an aha moment where it's like, you know, yeah, well, the what we did instead, thankfully, um, was we uh, took it to our women's employee resource group because that was one of the groups that specifically was saying, hey, we need more career development here. Mm-hmm. And they came back with a totally different solution, something that we're looking to implement that I never would have thought of um, and and literally like helped me completely reshape how to think about this in the context of my organization. To go back to your other point of, hey, there's not really right way to do it. You need to listen to your team and figure That's out how to it. do it. I mean, you leveraged the power of diversity in real time. You know, we when we just do things the way, again, we've always done it, we make too many assumptions, especially as it come, when it comes to creating more equitable and inclusive cultures. Like if everything we've already been doing could help us achieve that, we would have achieved it, but we have not. So we should know that means we need to approach these problems in a totally new way. Um, you know, and the, the thing you said, too, that I think is really important is we have our go to crew because it's faster, but bias travels with speed. We know that theoretically, but we don't realize how often we allow it to drive us or to take root, right? Because we're thinking about being efficient, but efficiency is the enemy of equity in many cases. Because in order to do something fast, you have to rely on the formulas that you know. You have to rely on what's comfortable and natural for you. So it does take, you know, a lot, I think. It, it takes very conscious action for us to disrupt some of those norms on purpose and be okay with the fact that it might take us a little bit longer to get to the right answer as a result. We have a hard time with that, and I know why. We're all being asked to do more with less. But I got to tell you, if we were to just slow down, right, slow down to go faster, we wouldn't still be having the same conversation 10 years from now. That yeah, powerful statement. You know, I had, I had never really thought of it in that context. To be honest with you, you know, bias travels with speed. I think that's worth repeating. And and, but it's so right. You know, the the systems that we operate in at work clearly have not helped um, equity, <laughs> but we continue to operate in that paradigm because it's what we all know. It's the way we do things. It's yes. Exactly. You know, and, and it's, it's connected to, we talked, we mentioned this a little bit earlier to our orthodoxies, right? Like we all have orthodoxies. This, this is just how we do this here. These are the rules we abide by. You know, these are our norms. We don't even question them anymore because it's just the way it is. And if we can find the courage and just a little bit of patience um, to acknowledge to ourselves that the way things are <laughs> is not um, the way they could be, then I think we would start to to address some of these challenges very differently. Absolutely. And in my pioneering mode, I'm also mm-hmm. thinking like, and if we don't figure this out, right, the future is going to be scary. And my, you know, my theory is. You're going to lose because you're, oh, you're yeah. not going to be able to retain, engage, and win with with a diverse team, which is what it's going to take to win. Right. And, and fu- the future, I mean, 
I don't have to tell you this. You you swim in this data, I'm sure, all the time. But, you know, 87%, I think it is, of Gen Z says that diversity and equity and inclusion are very important to them in choosing a workplace. That is not, for the record, 87% of black and brown people. That is not 87% of women. That's 87% of all Gen Z. So let's back up. If they say it's very important in selecting a company and yet we can't find the time or money or patience to invest, that's going to be a pretty sad state of affairs here in a few years. Absolutely. It's table stakes at this point, right? It is table stakes. Yes. <laughs> Pay, benefits, diversity. Like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the reality is, and they just won't tolerate it. I mean, those No. Quit. I mean. <laughs> they, they, or yeah. they won't come in the first place. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah, you're lucky if they started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just the other day, I, I literally just talked to my recruiter and she had a candidate who had probably... 10 specifically pointed questions regarding our diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. That's right. And that's but, becoming the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Between that and work-life balance, you know, you, we got to be willing to change. So gotta, yeah, Tara, yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir there. We could, that's a, that's know, a whole other podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's coming. So, you know, hang on. It's, and you better get this figured out. That's right. Uh, with that being said, it's just, it's, I, I wish we had more time. We're coming to the end of our time together and it's just been a wonderful conversation. Um, but I want to shift gears. I'm fascinated to hear your responses to the Rebel HR flash round. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? HR needs to rebel um, on the inside first. <laughs> I know that's probably not what you meant by that question, but we need to rebel against our own antiquated ideas, if you ask me. Uh, and, and if we can do that, then I think we give ourselves the opportunity to look at every problem with fresh eyes. I'm all in on that. I, I, I second that. I think that's where it starts, right? You got to be willing to rebel a little bit. Yeah. In, a, you know, in an HR way. But you, yes. know, you have to look inside before you can really impact your organization. Right. All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Our people. We should be listening to, that's an obvious, but we should be listening to our employees. You should not be listening to all the articles and the think pieces and your competition. I mean, they're, if they're a different company, they have different problems and therefore they're going to have different solutions. So I believe that your people are your greatest source of insight. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, obviously we've, we've, I think we've hit this point quite a bit on this podcast, but I mean, I can't tell you how many HR professionals I've spoken to in this topic. And a lot of times they're really just, they're asking for what's the right answer. The manual. Yeah. Can, can you just give me, you know, the answers to the test or what should we do? Or can you help us do this? And, you know, a lot of times the answer is no, not really. I can't tell you what you need. I can't tell you. How you, you have to go discover that yourself yeah. with your organization. And- yeah. And, you know, honestly, Kyle, I wrote the Waymakers for those people because it, it doesn't give you the answers, but it tells you how to get them. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I do think a lot of people need help doing that, right? We have so many fence sitters still, you know, I, I believe not because people don't care or don't want to contribute to change, 
but because they don't know exactly what to do or they feel insecure about doing it. And I mean, that's why the subtitle is clearing the path to workplace equity with competence and confidence, because those are the two things that are missing right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll take that a step further. You know, once you get the answers, then you've got to be willing to do something about it. Right. That's it. That's That's the way maker. Right. Okay. Last question. How can our listeners connect with you? I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me under Tara J. Frank. uh, And I'm also on Twitter, though less active there. My website is tarajfrank.com. And that's where people go when they want to have me speak to their organization or uh, do leadership, you know, inclusive leadership capacity building um, or any of those other fun things that I do. Absolutely. We'll have all those links in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, click in there. Uh, We'll also have uh, a link to the book. Again, the book is The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to Workplace Equity with Competence and Confidence. Go grab a copy today. It's going to help you get better. So really appreciate the time today, Tara. It's been a wonderful conversation and uh, thank you so much. Agreed. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.